Broadcasting live from a German-made microphone deep within the multifamily bunker. I am Corey Hussing here with uh, with an exciting guest to talk about some uh, mythical, mystical creatures found in the Bible and, else, and elsewhere. Uh, Joel Sozo will be joining us. But first, let's do our ad for Break, break Fix Pros. Is your computer acting like your New Year's resolution? Broken? Then call BreakFix Professionals. BreakFix Professionals will scan and clean your system for free. That's right, free. And no credit card is required. But that's not all. They are your go-to source for all your misfit PC needs. Windows or Apple, well, it doesn't matter to BreakFix Professionals. Call now at 605-951-9898. Or learn more at BreakFixPros.com. Break fix professionals. If you can't fix your New Year's resolution, at least fix your piece. Yeah, break fix pros. Uh, well, without further ado, Joel Souza. Uh, is it Souza? Souza? I'm. You know, I should. I should have asked before I brought yeah. you on. I always forget. How do you pronounce your last name, Joel? Yeah, Souza. Souza. I had it right the first yeah, time. Yeah, Souza. You might remember the famous baseball player Sammy Sosa from years yes. ago. Yes. Yeah, so the spelling of my last name decades, century ago was that, Sosa, which is a real common really? name. Yeah, and then something happened. My grandfather moved from San Antonio, Texas to Ohio. Something <laughs> happened to a, a, a birth certificate. It got spelled differently, and it's been Sosa, S-O-Z-A, ever since. So that, that's the story I got in here. But yeah, S-O-Z-A, Sosa. Explains why why you play baseball all the time then <laughs> i do play baseball yeah. I, I read the bio i don't know I oh, did you read it yeah well oh, now our audience doesn't know who you are so maybe i'll give you a give you a chance to explain i know you you've studied abroad uh was it south africa and england uh what, yeah. what was your master's in my master's is that what you asked i'm sorry yeah yep yeah i studied at a, at a seminary and i did two master's degrees one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. So biblical studies has been my field. And then I went off to Durham, England and spent a year in residency there. And then I finished my terminal degree at the University of South Africa in Pretoria. Now, Joel has published three books. His most recent is Introducing the Bible to the 21st Century Readers. Uh, he's also written a book, A Theological Approach to Eating, Diet, and Weight Control, which I will not read. <laughs> and I don't need to feel more guilty about oh, eating. God. <laughs> but I, the one I came across uh, was Lucifer, Leviathan, Lilith, and other mysterious creatures of the Bible. And that's uh, that's sort of your in-between child book right there. Yeah. Corey, yeah. may I interrupt quickly, if I may? Yes. No, Just for clarification. The third book, the one that's coming out on the introduction to the Bible. It's not quite released yet. Oh, uh, I, 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 no, I, I don't. That's on me because I said that because it should be it should have been out. But I have a co-author who still is tidying up a little bit of work. So it should be out any day now. But if someone went to look for it, you're not going to find it available yet. Got to give it a few months, probably <laughs> just yeah, to be uh, on the level. Yeah, no, the inside knowledge on it. All right. No. So the last book you've written then is 
Lucifer, Leviathan, Lilith, and other mysterious creatures of the Bible. What? Usually, when you talk to some, because you're you're a pastor now, correct? I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm a university professor, and then I serve a small little church because they couldn't afford somebody full time, so I, I part time serve a church. What made you decide to write this book? So a uh, couple of things, Corey. I mean, one is in my field profession as a university professor, there's a statement, publish or perish. That is, if you're not writing and getting things published, your career is seriously in jeopardy. So I knew that I needed to produce some written works. And, and I've done that, articles and journals and so forth. But uh, for this one, I think the, the alliteration of these three creatures kind of caught my attention, LLL. I thought, oh, that would be a nice title, Lucifer, Leviathan, Lilith. The Lilith creature, the one who is our main focus of conversation, was especially curious to me. And here's why, Corey. I was at my university. We were hosting a guest lecturer from another university who was senior to me as a scholar and professor. And he's talking all things Old Testament, which is my field. And he mentions Lilith. And I'm like, huh? And I'm thinking, I've gone through seminary. I earned two master's degrees. I did a PhD in Old Testament theology. I have never heard of Lilith. It was embarrassing. Like, what? I should know this. And I sort of had to inquire. Right, tell me a little bit about Lilith. And when he did, it then it really got my fascination. Of course, I came to understand why I never heard a lecture on Lilith. It's just one tiny little word in the Old Testament that uh, unless it's kept in its Hebrew language, you're not even going to know it's there. So that's why I didn't know it. But that sparked my interest. I had knew nothing. And I thought I, I need to explore what this is about. And it, it became a, a good learning experience for me. When you uh, what scripture are you referring to when you talk about Lilith showing up in the Bible? This is from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the prophet. A well-known book, big book, 66 chapters. It's the 34th chapter, the 14th verse of Isaiah. And if someone was to open it up and find that and read it in English, only a few translations would actually keep the word Lilith in there, which is Hebrew, uh, the original language of the Old Testament. Most would see a, an English translation like the night monster or the night bird or the night owl or something like that. So that's why I never even noticed it myself. What translate? What, what were the few translations that did do you recall uh, back I, I would i would say go to the new revised standard version uh, nrsv would have lilith in it uh there's a few others that i have in my book that i can't recall right now but nrsv and then some other real literal translations might have it as well do you think there's a reason why it was why it was changed to translated out of modern day bibles uh into other things like yeah well, I think because translation committees, they want people to read and understand, right? I mean, obviously, the, the point of publishing is to get things purchased. So if you keep things in original languages, people are going to look at it. Oh, I don't know what that is. And they might just say, I'll, I'll, I'll find a translation that uh, is more palatable to my understanding. But those who are more committed to literal translations probably want to keep the Hebrew word in there just because... They want to say, we don't know what it means, and they may be humble enough to, to know that. I guess I when can't it, go over it. So when, when you first hear Lilith, um, you were at what, you know, a seminar, you said, when you first heard it, heard about it? I wasn't even a seminar. I was just around a lunch table with a, with a colleague from another university. Now, I'll tell you how I discovered Lilith. It was sort of interesting. It's uh, I've got some uh, 
friends that were, you know, there's uh, strong-minded females. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I know where this is going. This is <laughs> Go ahead. And, uh, and one told me about Lilith, and then I started asking everyone else around, you know, just sort of casually through the workplace, hey, you know about Lilith? You ever heard about this Lilith? No, no, no. I swear every woman knew about Lilith. Wow. And, and, so, and so I'm, you know, because I'm sort of fascinated by this sort of this subculture hold she has. And um, and so I guess what's the what's the official like, is there an official narrative of who Lilith is? I think the official narrative would be how it expanded, particularly in sort of Jewish mysticism over the centuries to where more recently uh, the legend of Lilith, which is very obscure in Isaiah 34, 14, but isn't only there. I mean, it dates back to 2000 BC where there's artifacts and inscriptions of a Lilith-like creature that started to show this kind of female night demon who wanted to kill babies and ruin pregnancies. But what happened as it developed, you know, if I, my section on the Lilith goes through all the different literature on Lilith that's produced, particularly in the history of Jewish mysticism. But as we roll into the 20th century, um, during, say, the, the, the feminist movement of the 60s and 70s, uh, Lilith was latched onto as more of a hero rather than this demon figure, this bad girl. She becomes more a, a hero for ladies because Lilith refused, again, in the tradition of the of the mysticism right the hebrew, he was, the hebrew was it under the cabal i think cabal. yeah yeah the cabal and all that and she ended up she ended up just you know the, the legend goes she was adam's first wife prior to eve eve's the good docile partner right the role model that a man wants the more submissive woman where lilith is you're not going to dominate me and uh he's trying to subdue her uh in in the legend so that uh, the dominant husband male authority figure who wants to rule over his wife, Lilith won't have any of it. She grows wings and flies away. So from that came a movement out of feminism to identify with her positively. And uh, it was Erica Jong wrote a book, I think it was in the 70s, who's, who wrote a book about uh, fear of flying. You know, don't be afraid to fly off of an abusive husband. And so it kind of became a battle cry and an insignia for for ladies since the 70s, even to the present day. Sarah McLaughlin started uh, Lilith Fair, which was musical concerts, which uh, featured only women. So it was kind of a pushback on male patriarchy, basically. So it depends on where you stand on that, positive or negative. Right? But that's how the legend developed really in the last half, half century in kind of a fascinating way. You say there's like, you know, there's ancient artifacts that look like Lilith. What does she look like? Uh, well, that's a good question. Uh, really, the artifacts that have like an image of, of a woman, it, it's kind of hard to really even see her. And then historians and scholars aren't sure if the inscription is about Lilith or somebody else. What we have more of is just her name and not a whole lot of like icons of her picture. So her name shows up a lot, you know, okay. from 2000 BC on as a woman of desolation and primitive Eve. She gets all these kinds of titles. 
uh, a lot of mystery there and a lot of I'm, I'm not really sure, but incantation bowls and these kinds of things, a lot, a lot of those kinds of things showed up more so than a good graphic image of like, who do we have, like the Mona Lisa or something. We know what she looks like in the, in the artwork, but with Lilith, eh, not as much. With uh, Now, so she grows wings, flies away, and then she's, I, I, if I, and I'm, you know, I'm, I may be wrong on the timeline here, but I believe she's recaptured, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. Right. And and then she gets, uh, uh, I guess I don't get, uh, she, she gets assigned Mother of the Demons, I believe is her title, something along those lines. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of different expressions and diversity on who she is. It's not like there's, like you ask about narrative, there's not just one narrative. There's like a primary narrative that she is sort of evil, destroyer of children, young motherhood, uh, and uh, and yet sometimes she grows wings, sometimes she doesn't. She takes on multiple names in different contexts. So it's like the legend, like tributaries out of a river about Lilith. So that's why nothing is particularly clear. But the most solid evidence we have for the legend of her is what you quoted, that story of her flying off, getting captured, coming back. Uh, and that's where the, the latest work we have on her is, is from the Zohar, which is a part of Jewish writings and mysticism, which is like 1200 of the common era. And that's the last we got. And there's, there's like 60 references and allusions to her with four big stories about her, which kind of overlap and go in different directions. Again, it's not like, not like documenting history with her, right? I mean, this is what we do with, you know, the legend of Frankenstein or the werewolf or yeah. whatever. It just goes in all these kinds of directions. But the Zohar probably gives us the most information on the kind of person you said who is growing wings and killing children and spawning demon children. And, and uh, what's happening throughout history is that fearful mothers-to-be are putting amulets around their bed so that Lilith doesn't destroy their pregnancy, this kind of thing. Uh, so it's, it's a curiosity. She, she sort of uh, is this boogeyman, it seems like, you know, sure. boogeyman to men, yeah. boogeyman to new life. Um, what, I guess, you know, cause you're, uh, you're a pastor and obviously, you know, uh, I would, well, and I could be wrong, but I feel like this would, uh, the, the narrative of who Lilith is would be in contradiction to what the Bible says. Yeah. Well, definitely like in, in the only place we have her in the Bible is Isaiah 34, 14. Most of what we know about her is outside the Bible, but in the biblical reference, in the context of where she's found in Isaiah 34 is something that is a common genre amongst these prophets of the old Testament like a Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, they have whole sections devoted to oracles against other nations outside of Israel, which is bringing judgment upon nations for their crimes against humanity. And this one, Isaiah 30, 14, is a judgment against a nation called the Edomites, who would have been a neighbor to the Israelites, of which Isaiah is a part of. And the thing about the Edomites that's so fascinating is that the history of the Edomites is uh, they're the brothers of the Israelites because of when you go back to the Genesis story of Isaac, Esau, isn't it? exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. 
So it's really a judgment on, on, on Esau's descendants for a variety of reasons. And the way Isaiah is depicting it is it's the middle of the night in the desert and there's whatever, hyenas and snakes and owls and Lilith. And so Lilith is the one's like, well, what's a Lilith? <laughs> but uh, she fits in this larger list of creatures of the night that would scare us. So it's a judgment text upon a different nation. And that's, that's what we would get her in the Bible. You know, and that's kind of it. So the question becomes, is she just a literal creature? Is it a night owl or something that's given this name? Or is Isaiah purposely crossing that kind of invisible barrier into the world of the unknown to, to, to stir up fear, right? Because that's what a judgment text will do, to call someone to be aware and to fear. And in this case, uh-oh, and what you said is perfect, Corey, the boogeyman, fear the boogeyman. Uh, fear the Lilith, along with literal snakes and all these other creatures of the night. That's the biblical context. So as one who does preaching and teaching from that context, you know, that's how I will talk about it. But I do love to go into the legends because it's just so fascinating. And then. Is, oh, I'm sorry. No, interrupt. I'm, just, I'm curious. Would the Edomites have worshipped Lilith? Uh, probably the opposite. They would have feared her, right? So that for the Edomites and other peoples of that culture and that geographical region going back to Isaiah's day, which is, you know, 700 years BC, there would have been just like our superstitions, right? Boogeyman, they, they had a superstition apparently about a creature called a Lilith, a lady of the night, if I may interject. As a kid growing up, we would have sleepouts. The whole neighborhood would get together, we'd sleep out. And we we had this thing about going to the graveyard in the middle of the night, you know, as kids. And uh, we are sure we saw the lady in white. And the lady in white, was she real or was she imagined? But she became real to us when we would wander the graveyard at one in the morning as mis mischievous <laughs> kids. There she is, the, the, the lady in white. And in a sense, kind of like a Lilith, right? So the line between realism and, and myth sometimes isn't easy to know, but I think that's how it would have been understood to the Edomites, not as an object of worship, but an object of fear. It, it would have been someone they recognized, though, for sure, if he was using the term. Precisely the point. Just like we might say to our kids, you know, so, I mean, it's probably not good parroting, you know, the boogeyman's going to get you if you don't go to sleep at 10, but they would recognize what we're saying, right? Well, if Isaiah used it, I think it's fair game, you know? <laughs> Just point to that example. <laughs> so what, what is your belief? Do you believe that um, that Lilith is a literal creature, maybe a translation meaning owl, or do you think it's a, a real entity or someone that really existed, uh, a, an actual person or spirit? Yeah, I think... Starting with the biblical reference, I think Lilith is, is a creature of imagination to strike fear. Uh, and that that was the case in the larger Mesopotamian world of Isaiah. And Isaiah was borrowing it just like we might say the boogeyman's going to get you. And then I think what develops historically is all these legends 
which simply reveal what is common to us human beings, that we have a lot of superstitions and a lot of fears, you know, whether it's don't go on the 13th floor or jump over the crack. Uh, I, I think I, I, that's what I would see. Is she a literal, real demon? I do believe in, in the spirit world as a practicing Christian. I do believe in God. I believe in the demonic. I believe in all those things. Do I believe there's a demon named Lilith? Not necessarily, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well, it was interesting because, you know, I was doing just a little research and we've had uh, a couple episodes about Aleister Crowley. I'm, I'm not for sure if you're aware of who that is. Um, and um, in one of his textbooks, you know, he talks about summoning a, a spirit creature by the name of Lilith and, you know, the process. And um, so I always, my ears always perk up when I see Aleister Crowley has dabbled around with the idea. Well, you know, cause I, you know, he's, yeah. you know, done a lot of horrible things. So I'm, I, so Lilith being this boogeyman, what what are some of the myths that stuck out to you uh, when you were doing research on her? Well, I think uh, besides some of the things I already mentioned, kind of worth repeating, like uh, the myths of she's going to come in the middle of the night and she's going to kill your baby or she's going to ruin your pregnancy. And so they're, they're putting amulets up and kind of like we have our you know, talismans and lucky charms and sort of the things we even do in the modern day, even though we are well past the enlightenment and so on. Uh, that that caught my attention. Um, uh, I, I think to relate Lilith, in my understanding, to the Bible and to my book is to say Lilith represents what is typical amongst us human beings, that there is a realm of existence outside the natural. And we don't fully know or understand what it is. Now, in a Christian worldview, the idea is, you know, there's God, the loving creator who sends his son to break into the world on a mission. Uh, and that what's revealed in a biblical sense is there's a co cosmic conflict going on that we don't see with the natural eye between God and the forces of good, you know, angels and archangels and whatever else. And then satan and dragons and demons and perhaps a little or whatever they might be called but the 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 veil is only slightly open to us in the biblical record there's just an, enough to know it's there but not enough to get a full revelation of it even though we see jesus casting out demons and they're called legion i mean there's a name similar to lilith that's where i'm making the connection that ultimately lilith although you know, I don't think a, a literal being for me, maybe it's something in the realm of the demonic, more so according to my book to show this reveals the internal conflict we have of the chaos and disorder in the world we live in, right? Like trains derailing and leaking chemicals not too far from my house. What happened in Greece yesterday? The earthquakes in Syria. You know, we want answers to this. Uh, and one way that that I think biblically is revealed to us that there's a battle going on is through like a creature like Lilith being very subtly introduced into the text of Isaiah. But for us, it is, you know, it's the Loch Ness Monster, it's Bigfoot, it's Yeti. And are they real creatures? Or are they more a product of human imagination, which fears chaos and disorder and senses there's a struggle between good and evil? Yeah. Now, that may not have landed at all. 
<laughs> and I may not have answered. No, that. no. And I, I, I think it's very interesting that how people latch on to different ideas or things, you know, um, you know, with Lilith, there's definitely this desire of, or this, I guess this aspect of admiration, like, um, yes. You know, you, you talk about the, you know, the official narrative of women being subservient to men and she's the exact opposite of that. And that's admired. You know, I, you wonder, you know, if, uh, what pushes those ideas or the ability for people to grab on? Because, you know, in the full text of who she is, it's not a, not a great person, you know, according to the myth of right. who she is, or like you said, even if it's not a, a person or an entity, it rep it represents uh, an amount of chaos that, you know, just cannot right. be appeased. Right. You know, what, despite those things, what makes, what do you, I mean, like, what have you come across when, uh, discussing Lilith with other with other people. Uh, a lot of blank stares. <laughs> Never heard of her before, uh, and I try to draw them to pop culture, like Lilith Fair by Sarah McLaughlin, like Erica Jong's book uh, on Fear of Flying. Another one was I was my wife and I. We would oftentimes like to just watch a sitcom at night just to chill out the day and relax. And you might remember Frazier when that was on 20 years ago. And he had this wife who divorced him, or they divorced, and her name was Lilith. And it, it never, one day it kind of, it kind of, I came to this realization, oh, that must be a purposeful move because she sort of depicted as kind of evil, right? Uh, is that why she got the name Lilith? So it kind of shows up in pop culture ways as well. Although maybe that's not why they chose her name to be Lilith, but I think there's other places too and lilith in hebrew there's a word lila which means night it's very similar so i say you see the creature of the night that which we fear um do you find it odd that because yeah. you know this creature of the night um i mean she she sort of holds similarities to uh molech in ways mm. the the old testament god of uh Surrounding nation, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Moloch was one who was what children were sacrificed to Moloch, correct? Yeah. And so, in that way, the death of children and so on, that kind yeah, of well, yeah, yeah, and yeah, you know, the the sacrificing of children for blessings and stuff like that. Yeah, like we saw, like in Mayan culture, at some point in time. Uh, in fact, for like, if we go to a prophet like Isaiah and his his. Uh, colleague prophets like a jeremiah who comes about a hundred years later jeremiah speaks the word of god into his generation that god was going to bring judgment upon them in jerusalem precisely because the current king whose name was manasseh was slaughtering children for for sacrifice to the gods yeah. i had a chance Corey, to actually be in that valley called the valley of ben hinnom in jerusalem i, I had a chance to study there uh, in 2000 and whatever 14 and my my room was right there like in the old wall that still remains and looked down into this valley of ben hinnom where they slaughtered children to like in the in the name of a moloch but they were doing it to the god of israel which of course he didn't want and he was gonna shut it all down and bring judgment in fact this takes us in a whole new direction but the valley of ben hinnom also known as gehenna in the new testament is the term that is used mostly for what hell is in the New Testament, 
and it was the place of child sacrifice and slaughter. So I, I give you a real, like, let me tell you, as I'm a father of two, my daughter studies in Boston. She's driving home tomorrow for spring break from Boston yes. to Ohio, right? And we got the storm coming. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. You know, there's a lot of fear in me as a dad. Uh, and uh, it's kind of like uh, just the fear of chaos and bad that can happen in the world, you know, for, for my daughter. So do I believe Lilith is after her? No, but I am aware that bad things happen. And there's a, there's a, you know, I, personally, what do I, I, I pray, I pray to God for protection over her. And then I'm not necessarily saying, Oh God, ward off Lilith, but I am saying, Oh God, ward off whatever evil, you know, might hurt her and her friends making this trip. So it runs in all of us, you know, whether we're, whether we're, we're uh, theists and creationists or atheists and evolutionists or whatever, wherever we're at on that spectrum, I think there's a sense that we humans know that we live in a very troubled, chaotic world and it, it strikes fear. And I'm just trying to show that some of the way it shows up is through artists, renditions of paintings, literature and writings. Like I, I talk in my book about uh, Mary... It's got a long last name who in the was it the the 18th century wrote frankenstein and that just sparked a revival of all these creatures right and as a kid i loved frankenstein and dracula and creature from the black lagoon and, you know october every october we walk around what do we see i mean we're fascinated with this stuff aren't we you know yeah well <laughs> and it's I, I guess what made me think of molek was you know so the you know, i don't know if you know where uh or heard about Bohemia Grove out there in California. And um, it's, it's actually something of interest to, to study because there's a lot of, it's been a tradition for decades. A lot of um, high ranking people go there as sort of a retreat, but at the end of the two week retreat or a week retreat, I can't remember how long it is. They have a ceremony and um, there's a river in the middle and then there's a seating on one side of the hill. And on the other side of the hill is a 30-foot statue of an owl that they call Molech. They address it as Molech. And they burn an, they burn an effigy of a, of a child at the altar in front of it. But I, could nev I never understood the... Because Molech, uh, to my understanding, was, was a, um, a, a bull creature, if I remember correctly. I think it was the shape of a bull. I could be wrong on that, I, but you know, when you talk about, you know, Lilith being described as sort of this, you know, it could be a, it was a bird of the night or something like that. Yeah, you know, one possibility. It would remind you of an owl, you know, and yeah. sort of sacrifice. And evidently, this has been a cult for quite some time. If it's, you know, popping up in in um, subcultures and. I mean, if it's going all the way back to thousands of years ago, you're saying they're finding artifacts that, you know, help ward off Lilith and things of that yeah. nature. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't heard of that. I'll have to take a look at that. Bohemian Grove. Yeah. If yeah. you ever get a chance, it's yeah. very. Out well, it, yeah. Out in uh, California, out in the hills. And it's, it's, it's been very popular for decades. Time Magazine did a um, article about it back in the seventies, you know, sort of, um, making light of it but once you see the ceremony take place it definitely changes your opinion on <laughs> you know and i'm sure a lot of people though they don't know this the symbolisms of what they're doing yeah, you know it's, right. 
but the fact that it, they're there is interesting. Yeah. Well, and um, you talk, you know, this it's really, you know, these uh, a fight between good and evil on many different realms. You know, and we get little peeks into the spiritual realm of how it's being fought. Right. And then, you know, we have to deal with the physical aspects of it. But I, I've just been fascinated by this subject. What um, what was your, I guess I'm, I'm curious about uh, the Leviathan. What is, what is a Leviathan then mentioned in the Bible? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you asked, Corey, because that probably was my favorite part of my study. Uh, of the three creatures... Lilith was the one that was more new to me. So it was more the learning journey. The Leviathan one I had talked a lot about in courses and so so on and so forth. And Leviathan's a little easier to wrap one's mind around reading Leviathan in the Bible because there's five texts on Leviathan, right? Not just the one. There's five, which isn't overwhelming, but yet enough to get some substance. So the five texts, the one is in Isaiah. Uh, chapter 27, verse 1, and it's kind of my lead-in and my Leviathan chapter. And then there's two in the book of Psalms and two in the book of Job. But Leviathan is a creature of the deep. It's a sea creature that I would suggest, and I think most biblical scholars and commentators would suggest that Leviathan is a part of the imaginative, imagination world of the ancient world of the Old Testament. And it's a creature of the deep that is more fictitious that simply represents all of our human fears. And the reason that the writers of the Old Testament would use that kind of a creature, a sea creature, is because Israel did not have any natural harbors. They were not seagoing people. In other words, they feared the sea. And much of the way the Bible is put together is to show chaos comes out of the sea, out of the water, right? And if you don't mind just indulging me with just a little bit of sort of walking across some passages in the Bible on the chaos of water, right from the beginning in Genesis, the chaos of water is uh, God separates it out to create. And, and who can do that, right? I mean, I can't fill up my sink and put my hand in there and divide up the water. So it's showing God has power over that which they feared the most in the old world, the water, the storm, the ocean, the flood. And it shows, I mean, in early Genesis, there's a flood, right? In the days of Noah. And so uh, what, what happens, the Israelites, God opens up the water for them to pass on through. That is like this great miracle. And then even when you get to Jesus, the idea of him walking on the water is, you know, it's not a clown's trick. It's like, wow, he controls the natural elements of the world and that which we fear the most, the water. Uh, and it kind of ends. So Leviathan shows up in those five texts that I mentioned, usually to depict something that was feared, most commonly just a big powerhouse nation. Israel's a tiny little people group. So you've got the Assyrians, the Babylonians, maybe the Egyptians are Leviathans, creatures that we are we can't kill and we're afraid of. And the water isn't our natural habitat as humans, right? So uh, by the end of the Bible, just to show the struggle of good and evil, there's an interesting passage in the Apocalypse at the very end, the back door of the Bible in the, in the Protestant canon, which says in those last chapters in Revelation 21 and 22, that God, in God's new ordered world, where all the chaos is gone, it says, and there was no more sea. That's like, well, what do we need to know that for? I mean, that almost sounds like a disappointment because I love the ocean, right? But I think it might be a statement of there's no more chaos. There's no mystery 
no more disorder. God has done away with evil. He has put all things in good order. But for myself, like I love the water. I'm a water guy. But when I go to the ocean, I tell you, Corey, I'm only going in up to my, <laughs> right? And why is that? Who knows what lurketh below? So the Leviathan is that creature that might be there that could get us at any time. But again, not literal, but uh, 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 mysterious, kind of mythical to suggest that which we fear. And in the Job, what are the Job texts? And I'll just say this and then I'll stop it. Uh, Job, who has all these horrible things happen to him, his world falls apart. What God says to Job is, can you pull out the Leviathan with a little fish hook? And the answer is no. So it's saying the deepest, darkest questions of life are not easily answered, right? It takes something more. So anyhow, five texts on Leviathan and uh, representing all that we fear in life. So I, the belief is, is that these are terms to sort of encapsulate chaos. Yes. Uh, but what about Lucifer, the, 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 the third L? You know, so is this, a, is this also along the same line of uh, Leviathan and Lilith? Yeah, a, a little bit different. Uh, Lucifer is really only mentioned one time as a being, the Isaiah 14, 12 text. And it's very clear from the context, the Isaiah 14 text is very similar to the Lilith text in Isaiah 34, which was a message to the Edomites. In the Isaiah 14 text that mentions Lucifer, it is a message to the uh, king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon is a literal king. We don't know which one it was, but we know the Israelites did not like the Babylonians because they destroyed them. They destroyed Jerusalem. So the way that uh, Isaiah states it is how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. And Lucifer itself is, is a Latin word. It's not in the Old Testament Hebrew. It comes from the Latin translation, and it means, O star of the morning, or enlightened one. And actually, a Lucifer is a positive in the sense of that a bright light in a good way and has been used to mean enlightenment. But in the context, it's about an arrogant king of Babylon. And Isaiah is poetically saying, King of Babylon, you are arrogant and you are going to be brought low. You're going to fall, which happens to the Babylonian Empire. So that's the literal historic context of Isaiah 14. But what happened in, in Christian interpretation of that passage, it was a church father named Origen in the second century AD who who took it and enlarged it to mean the fall of Satan, the devil himself. And he has some, some good reasons for doing that, which, again, it's in the book. It comes from things Jesus says in Luke chapter 10. So I hold out that, okay, Isaiah 14 might actually be talking about the fall of Satan from heaven, but that's certainly not its meaning in its original context. So I always want to bring people back to him. The first thing you do in interpreting the Bible is, Get the context first then you can look at how legends develop out of there uh, so lucifer is the ancient king of babylon right maybe also a double reference to some way that one of god's angels rebelled and fell from heaven what maybe. was the what was the he what was the actual hebrew term for, for lucifer yeah uh, yeah the hebrew is uh uh i know it I'll check my book. <laughs> uh, I, I know it. Oh. Oh, yeah. Hallel. Hallel, meaning shining one. 
Hallel is the Hebrew. And then the star of the morning. And oh. Latin, and they transferred it into Latin, which was uh, Lucifer. Star of the morning, which was Lucifer. Right. Oh. But one other thing to say, like, oh, 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 star of the morning, the idea is. So you think of it being an ancient person where there's no electricity and you're looking out at night and it's like, wow, all the stars you would see, right? right. In the in that world that we don't know, it would have been incredible. And when the night finally gave way to the rising of the sun, there's like one last bright light that would shine and then the sun would come up. Once the sun comes up, guess what happens? Everything else goes away because the sun is so brilliant. So the idea of old morning star or, or Lucifer or Hillel is... Uh, you're shining brightly amongst all the other stars, but as soon as the sun comes up, you're gone. And the message is King of Babylon, you're going to shine brightly for a moment, but you're gone, right? And it, I mean, we see that in, in you know, literal history, right? We have our moment under the sun and then, you know, we fade away. We get old, whatever. I mean, ask stars, uh, you know, uh, 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 Tom Brady, what he's going to experience when he's no longer that bright morning star, right? So, uh, that's kind of the idea behind the or origin of Isaiah 14, but it became this full-blown fall of the devil himself, which there's some evidence for, but, you know, I just want to remind people, go back to the original source and start with that. Well, and it's fascinating how, you know, people have latched on to Lilith, Lucifer, you know, these, why do you think, uh, why do you think there's such a desire to latch on to these supposedly what makes them enlightened to people, you know, and what's, and there's, I feel like there's some sort of danger to that. Yeah. Yeah. One of the movements that came out of the, the name Lucifer enlightened one really was a, a group called, well, it's called a, a, a philosophical school called Luciferianism. Hard to say the word. But it puts a positive spin on Lucifer as we seek enlightenment, kind of like in Eastern traditions, seeking enlightenment. I kind of like with Lilith being turned into a positive, Lucifer gets turned into a positive. Leviathan never does, but, but Lucifer and Leviathan do. Uh, and why do these kinds of things happen or why is there latching on? Well, we're fascinated with the unknown. We're fascinated with that other world beyond us. If I can just say, sort of giving kind of a, biblical theology 101 here in a sense but if you think about the bible at the front door and the back door we really got the two most difficult genres to interpret from the bible that the front door is these stories of the story of creation which is bizarre snakes are talking <laughs> you know other things are happening that doesn't happen in the natural world right and then on the back door you've got the apocalypse or the book of revelation and so it's like there's this great mystery at the beginning and the beginning of the story and the end of the story. And we all want to know the exact way the beginning unfolded. We all want to know how the ending is going to unfold. But it's like the Bible won't allow us any more than a signpost to those things, but not a full photograph, just a signpost. But what's in between the main pages of the Bible is the message of you walk by faith and not by sight, you know, which calls to a belief in the God who created all things. So as the pastor part of me has to remind people not to be too, to not lock in just to the front door and the back door. I mean, these are great things to explore, but the greater cause is what it is to live by faith in the larger biblical revelation, because we are always fascinated with things we don't know. And I know in the church, there's a bit of strong movement 
with how the world's going to end and all these Bible charts, which honestly is a moneymaker. It's kind of embarrassing. It, it, and it uh, really doesn't handle the genre of the book of Revelation well or understand its context because that's what we do, right? We just love to go to things that uh maybe we can't see or know and why do we when there's a you know an ambulance down the street why do we have to go run out and check you know check it out we we tend to have these fascinations where we're not comfortable staying in our own lane perhaps and and the way the bible kind of portrays the beginning call to adam and eve is you know you be fruitful and multiply and uh you know subdue the earth in the sense of this is the domain god gave you don't worry so much about what's outside of that domain of the, of the natural realm so eh, I'm giving you little pieces and parts to your big good questions. Oh, I I appreciate you uh, humoring the the uneducated here. So it's <laughs> I find it all very fascinating. You know the sure. you yeah. know and especially you know there's you know there's a like you said there's a million different ways to interpret um, this creature or you know it could be not even a creature at all. Um, and it's interesting to hear sort of the Christian perspective. That's what I was curious about because, you know, how does that tie in with Christianity itself? You know, of these stories about Leviathan and Lilith and Lucifer, that's a, that's, you know, that's, you know, I believe the whole time that was a reference to the devil, you know, and I'm just born into it, I guess, but that's fascinating in itself to me. Yeah, it has become that, you know, and so the history of how things develop is kind of fascinating. You know, it's not to say that maybe some of our conclusions still aren't correct, but the initially to be thought through is the, what was the original context of things and how did we get to where we're at today? And Lucifer and Lilith are especially the ones that are like, whoa, you know, whereas Leviathan has been always a little bit more straightforward. Although Oftentimes, honestly, like in Christian circles, this would be a point that I would tend to disagree with. But people, well, Leviathan, that's proof there was, you know, the dinosaurs in the Bible and that sort of thing. And see, that's not at all what it means. It's, it's, you know, it's about it's about the mythological aspect of the ancient world. And, you know, you know, as a Christian, we don't have to prove, you know, that the Bible talks about dinosaurs to, to believe in its veracity and so forth. So I don't know. It takes me all over the place. Yeah, I'm sure you get all asked all sorts of questions about it, too. Well, <laughs> in my profession of teaching Bible, whether at the university or the church, it's not just trying to teach content, but we're always trying to teach interpretive method, right? How to think well. I mean, that's that should be the concern of any professor. And, of course, I'm on a journey to try to think well, because thinking well sets us up, you know, to make the best decisions in life. And that's what university is trying to do. And that's why we read broadly and try to get all the views we can and the best thinking on every view so that we ourselves are learning to think well. So for me, the book was really was a good journey for me to explore uh, three areas that I'd given a little attention to, none to Lilith. And it, it has helped develop what I think is my understanding of the biblical message, which you know, ultimately, that's my main concern, the pastoral part of me, right? You know, the 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 evangelical part of me wants to draw out, well, what do these things say about God? What do they say about human beings? And then how, how then should I live my life? Uh, and so for me, it's a matter of, uh, of recognizing how fear creeps into our life 
and and how that is combated which with a larger biblical worldview actually for that but how do i work through my daughter making this drive from boston right it's very real to me in the moment and in some senses i can use the book i wrote to kind of inform that just a little bit anyhow joel thanks so much for coming on the show i appreciate it. is there anything you would like to uh you would like to plug as far as any you know i know you've got your introducing the bible to the 21st century readers book is coming out in the near future yeah, uh, that's going to be from linus publishing if you want to write down my name and wait for it to come out linus publishing out of new york it's going to be publishing introducing the bible to 21st century readers. Uh, honestly me and my colleague professor we we wrote it at as a minimalist a level as we can what i mean is it's not like a traditional textbook it's going to be much smaller it's going to be a much easier read uh you know the book we just talked about uh i needed to write it a little more academically just for my career purposes and so forth but this next book coming out is honestly for someone who just maybe has no familiarity with the bible uh and as far as this book we've been talking about it's published by hamilton books which is an imprint of roman and littlefield I wrote it in 2017. Again, Lucifer, Leviathan, Lilith, and other mysterious creatures of the Bible. It's less than 100 pages, right? So shouldn't be too expensive. I mean, you go to Amazon or to the publisher and get used copies of it pretty cheap, honestly. Uh, and I make six cents a copy, so it's not a big money grab for me. <laughs> I, I waited till the end of this interview to ask if you were an Ohio State fan. You know what? Not particularly. Oh. Uh, I like you a little bit more, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I root for them, but I am not wearing the scarlet and white. I went to Bowling State University, and I will say I'm a big Browns fan. I'm a Cleveland guy, so. Oh, so okay. <laughs> so you're used to the abuse then. So. <laughs> yeah, I I have no problems with that. I'm, I'm a Cleveland sports guy, and I I know what that is. But that would be my plug, and also not to embarrass myself. Is this recorded again? Can a recording be yep, sent? To yep. Me? Yep, we'll send you the. Yep, we'll okay, send you the recording. My ninety-one-year-old mother wants to hear it, so I have oh. a fan club out there. She's ninety-one. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, we'll take fan and facts listeners, however we can get them. Well, I appreciate <laughs> what you're doing, Corey. This is fascinating, and and uh, that you put the energy and time into this, and you work a trade and do this as well. It's pretty impressive to me. Well, I really, uh, really enjoyed having you on, Joel. Thanks so much for coming on our show. You're welcome, Corey. Thank you. Joel Sosa, Joel Sosa, um, new show coming out next week. Uh, be sure to tune in, uh, check us out on Phantom Facts on YouTube, Phantom Facts Society on all your podcast listeners. Everyone have a great night. Thanks again to Joel for coming on the show.